Church history. Light amid the darkness is seen in the life of Luther. London, G. Morrish, 20, Paternoster Square, before 1915. Republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded podcast. Chapter 13. Luther and the Roman Bull, A.D. 1520. As the reader has been informed, the Emperor Maximilian was dead, and the Elector Frederick had held supreme sway until a new emperor should be chosen. The time had now come for the election. There were three candidates. 1. Charles, King of Spain, Naples and Sicily, besides holding Flanders and Burgundy. He was the grandson of Maximilian, and his age was about 19. 2. Francis I, King of France, 3. Henry VIII, King of England. There were objections to all three. Charles was already too powerful, and Francis and Henry were foreigners. It was then proposed that Frederick himself should be emperor. This however Frederick declined. The Turks were threatening Germany, and Frederick thought a more powerful prince was needed than himself. He proposed Charles, and Charles was elected. This was the emperor who would be called upon to crush Luther. But while Eck was stirring up Rome, others were also doing all they could to further the object of Eck. Two universities, Cologne and Louvain, condemned certain of Luther's writings, while others hunted for his life, declaring openly that to kill Luther would be no sin, and it is reported that one day Luther was approached by a stranger. Having a weapon concealed in his sleeve, he asked Luther why he went about alone. I am in the hands of God, said Luther, he is my strength and shield. What can man do unto me? The stranger turned pale and hurried away. Thus did God protect his servant. The elector of Saxony had a representative at Rome, who wrote to say, I can get no hearing on account of the protection you grant to Luther. The elector was not frightened, but returned a bold answer. The doctrine of Luther, said he, has taken deep root in many hearts. If, instead of refuting it by the testimony of the Bible, attempts are made to crush it by the thunders of the church, great offence will be occasioned. And terrible and dangerous rebellions will be excited. Luther's eyes were becoming open to the very great and deadly evils to which he was attached, and he saw that it would be wrong to say peace. Peace, so as to let such evil reign. No, he must continue the conflict with renewed energy, I despise alike the rage and the favour of Rome, said he. Away with reconciliation, I desire never more to have any communication with her. Let her condemn, let her burn my writings. In my turn, I will condemn and publicly burn the canon law, that nest of all heresies. Luther had gained many friends among those in authority and power, who now and again sent words of encouragement to him, offering to take up arms in his favor should it be needed. Luther's reply was, I will depend on none but Christ alone. Luther now published his book on good works. It was necessary to set his hearers right on this point. It had been insisted that to preach faith was to discourage good works. No, said Luther, the first, the noblest, and the greatest of all works is faith in Jesus Christ. From this work all others must flow. A Christian who has faith in God does all with liberty and joy, while that man who is not at one with God is full of cares and under bondage. Faith comes from Jesus Christ alone, promised and freely given. Luther next published his appeal to his imperial majesty and the Christian nobility of the German nation concerning the reformation of Christianity. In this book he was very bold. It is against the power of hell we have to contend in this struggle. We must set about the work, hoping nothing from the strength of our own arms, and depending humbly on the Lord. He then went on to show the error of dividing Christians into clergy, and, laity, the spiritual, and the temporal. The Pope could not make any man a spiritual man, and every Christian was a priest in God's sight, though all had not the same work to do. He next proved that it was wrong for the priests not to be subject to the magistrates if they did wrong. Quoting the passage from Romans chapter 13 verse 1, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. All this was new doctrine, no, not new but recovered truth. 
In the Church of Rome the Pope was above kings, and if a king disobeyed him he would incite the people to oppose their king. The priests could behave as badly as they pleased, and no magistrate was allowed to touch them. Magistrates must report them to the higher clergy, as they were called, who punished the guilty priests as they thought proper, or if not the priests went without punishment. Luther showed from scripture that this was quite wrong. Luther proceeded further in this book to show how the style and outward grandeur of the Pope was entirely different from the condition of our Lord and of his apostles at the beginning. And to keep up this costly pomp Germany was being impoverished. In a multitude of ways the riches of Germany were being drawn away to support the Pope. Luther could no longer call him pious or most holy, but most sinning. He proceeded to the subject of marriage. It is a rule of the Roman Church that the priests must not marry. Luther quoted 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2, let the bishop be, the husband of one wife. From this Luther proceeded to speak of other abuses, and called aloud that they should be remedied. Never had the Germans read such a book. It was at once lifting the veil and showing Rome in its true colors. Would the people of Germany continue to be the slaves of such a power? Many in Germany answered to the appeal with an emphatic no. Though the book was addressed to the Christian nobility of Germany, it touched on many subjects in which all Germans were interested. This attached many to the Reformation who were not Christians, and the Reformation became political as well as Christian, which afterwards bore evil fruit. In the meantime Dr. Eck was at Rome, using all his energies to arouse her to action. The Pope, Leo X, was too fond of luxury and amusement to wish to be troubled, but the clergy, stirred up by Dr. Eck, clamoured until Leo felt compelled to listen. And after due deliberation a solemn bull was issued against Luther. A search was to be made everywhere for his writings, which were to be solemnly burnt in the presence of the clergy. Luther was at once to cease preaching, teaching and writing, and was himself to commit his writings to the flames. He had sixty days allowed him to retract, attested by two witnesses. Failing this, he was, with all his adherents, to be seized and sent to Rome. Dr. Eck was the bearer of the papal bull, but before he published it against Luther, Miltitz again sought to bring about a reconciliation, and for this purpose had a meeting with Luther at Lichtenberg. See note. There were as many as thirty who went with the reformer, for they were sorely afraid that it was all a plot to get him into their clutches. Note. A town in Bavaria, in the district of Upper Franconia. End of note. The result arrived at was that Luther promised to keep silence for the future if his adversaries would do the same. How he could have promised to do this, believing as he did that he was doing God's work, is difficult to conceive. He might have quoted the memorable answer of Peter and the other apostles in Acts chapter 5 verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. Luther wrote again to the Pope, still styling him, the most holy father in God, though in his books he had styled him, most sinning. He told the Pope plainly that the corruption of the court of Rome was greater than that of Sodom or Gomorrah. You know that Rome has inundated the world with everything destructive to soul and body. There is no hope for Rome. I tell you the truth because I wish you well. Far from having conceived any evil design against you, I wish you the most precious blessings for all eternity. I entreat you to restrain if possible the enemies of peace. But I cannot retract my doctrines. I cannot consent that rules of interpretation should be imposed on Holy Scripture. The word of God, the source of all liberty, flows, must be left free. With this letter Luther presented the Pope a little book. The Liberty of the Christian. In this book Luther said, Faith unites the soul with Christ as a spouse with her husband. Everything which Christ has becomes the property of the believing soul. On the other hand, from faith flows the love of God, from love flows a life of liberty, charity, and joy. In the meantime Eck was hastening to Germany with the fatal bull. But Rome had made a great mistake in choosing such a messenger. On the one hand many saw in it a production more of Dr. Eck than of the Pope. 
had not Dr. Eck been at Rome begging and praying for this. It was really his opposition to Luther, while, on the other hand, the clergy were offended in receiving the bull from the hands of merely a scholar, and not, as usual, from some high dignitary of the church. And they were in no hurry to publish it. Eck delivered his copies as he went along, and made his way to Leipzig, where it will be remembered he had disputed with Luther. But since then the truth had spread in that city, and the students, on hearing of the arrival of Dr. Eck, posted about the street's attacks upon him. They also made up a ballad ridiculing him, and went about the streets singing it. Threatening letters also reached him, so that he was glad to take refuge in a monastery from which he stole away by night. At Erfurt the students tore up the copies of the bull and threw them into the river, saying since it is a bubble, let us see it float. When Luther heard of this he said, the paper of the bull is truly a bubble. See note. Eck did not venture to come to Wittenberg, but sent the bull to the prior, but the prior said that as he did not receive a letter from the Pope he should not publish it. Note, for explanation of this, see the footnote in chapter 11. End of note. Just at this time an advocate for Luther appeared in the person of Ulrich Zwingli, the Swiss reformer. He was unknown to Luther but he had read his works, and he appealed to the Pope, begging him to pause in his rupture with Luther, and begging him to submit the subject to just and impartial men. Naming the Emperor Charles, the King of England, and the King of Hungary. This appeal was not listened to. The course of events rolled on. Luther received the bull condemning him. It is Christ, said he, who is therein condemned. I am cited to appear, not that I may be heard, but that I may recant. Already I feel in my heart more liberty, for I now know that the Pope is Antichrist, and that his chair is that of Satan. He proceeded to publish a tract against the bull of Antichrist, see note. In which he says, for aught I care, let them destroy my books. I desire nothing better, for all I wanted was to lead Christians to the Bible that they might afterwards throw away my writings. Great God, if we had but a right understanding of the Holy Scriptures what need would there be of my books? My strength and my consolation are in a place where neither men nor devils can ever reach them. That was in Christ in heaven. Note, Luther, with others, did not distinguish between being an Antichrist, and the Antichrist. Rome was the former, and not the latter. End of note. In some places the bull had effect. At Ingolstadt the booksellers' shops were searched and all Luther's books were carried off. In some of the states of the emperor, Luther's books were consumed on scaffolds erected for the purpose with great ceremony, to strike terror into the people. In the low countries Margaret governed. Who is this Luther? asked she. An ignorant monk, was the reply. Do you, who are learned and so many, write against him? The world will surely believe a company of learned men rather than a single monk of no learning. But those learned men of Louvain raised an immense pile of wood to burn the writings of the ignorant monk. And numbers hastened to the spot, carrying their books, and cast them into the flames. The Popish party were delighted, but afterwards found out that many of the books burnt were not Luther's but scholastic and Popish books. The Count of Nassau, Viceroy of Holland, was solicited to permit the burning of Luther's books, but he said, go and preach the gospel as purely as Luther. And you will have no reason to complain of anyone. Thus was it proved how Luther's books had spread, and how the truth he taught had taken root in some even of the noble and the great. But Luther proceeded to act. On the 17th of November he assembled a notary and five witnesses at the convent, and he then and there solemnly appealed from the Pope to a general Christian council. He charges the Pope with many and grave sins. And he calls upon the Emperor, the electors, princes, counts, barons, etc., etc. to unite with him, to resist the anti-Christian proceedings of the Pope. This was soon printed and scattered over Germany, and found its way far beyond. Here again we see the movement was becoming political as well as Christian. Luther appealed to the heads of the states to resist the Pope, irrespective of their being Christians themselves. 
on the 10th of December bills were posted on the walls of the university, asking the people to come to the East Gate at 9 o'clock. As the hour approached, professors, tradesmen, and students were seen wending their way to that spot. A pile of wood had been made which was soon set on fire, and as it blazed Luther stood forward and cast into the flames the canon law, the decretals of the popes, the clementines, the extravagances. Some of X and M's writings, and above all, the Pope's bull, exclaiming aloud, Since thou hast afflicted the Lord's Holy One, may fire unquenchable afflict and consume thee. Luther referred here to the bull, and not to the Pope. But such an act as this we believe to be unworthy of Luther and the Lord for whom he fought. We are told that we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 to 4. This act partook too much of the character of warring after the flesh. They had burnt his writings, he in return would burn theirs. One thing was now clear and certain, Luther was separated from the Pope and the Papal Church. There was no retreat now, he must proceed and conquer, or die. The next day Luther proceeded with his lectures on the Psalms. The hall was more than usually crowded. After his lecture he proceeded to speak of what he had done, and solemnly to warn his hearers against adhering to the doctrines of Rome. As long as my life shall last, said he, I for my part will never cease to warn my brethren of the wound and plague of Babylon. Lest any of those who now walk with us should slide back like the rest into the pit of hell. By Babylon he of course meant Rome. People had shuddered when they saw him burn the bull, but they were strengthened when they heard his preaching. Luther's boldness encouraged others. Karlstadt raised his voice, and Melanchthon raised his. Timid as he was, he surpassed himself in appealing to the rulers of the land. Luther now had a strong conviction that God had really chosen him to do a special work for him. Who knows, said he, whether God has not called and chosen me for this very purpose, and whether they who despise me have not reason to fear lest they be found despisers of God himself. Bold language but not too bold for any called of God to do any work for him. He was again charged with preaching novelties, new doctrines. He denied it, they were old doctrines, the doctrines of scripture, they had lain buried and unobserved for so long that men now called them new. But while Luther was thus progressing in his work, all eyes were turned on Frederick, and all asked, will he carry out the Pope's will and expel Luther, or give him up to the Pope? Just now Frederick was at Exler Chapel at the crowning of Charles. There was a large concourse of princes and nobles, and the Pope had sent a special nuncio to present the bull to the Emperor, and demand the crushing of Luther. The nuncio, by name Aleandro, a very learned man, proceeded to burn publicly Luther's books. He was told that this was no use. The doctrines taught by Luther were in people's hearts, deeply rooted, they did not exist in books only. No matter, he would burn the books and strike terror into the people. He next appealed to the Emperor to condemn Luther. The emperor drew back, he pleaded he had only just been elected, and without consulting the elector and his own counsellors he could not strike a blow at a section of the nation so numerous as this had now become. The nuncio hastened off to Frederick, the oldest of the electors, and demanded the punishment of Luther, or for him to be delivered up to the Pope. Frederick said it was too important a matter to be hastily decided. He would communicate with the nuncio in writing. This was an important crisis with the elector. Would he give up Luther, or would he deny Rome? Luther saw that the work he was engaged in did not rest upon the power of princes, though they could greatly help or hinder the work. It is not, said he, to princes or pontiffs that the task is assigned of defending God's word. Enough for them if they can themselves escape the judgments of the Lord and his anointed. Frederick, on due consideration, told the nuncio that Luther's writings had not yet been refuted or shown to be fit only for the flames. 
he demanded therefore that Luther should be furnished with a safe conduct and permitted to answer for himself before a tribunal composed of learned, pious, and impartial judges. It was in vain to appeal to the emperor. Charles clearly saw that the cause of Luther might be of great use to him. If he wanted to please the Pope he could show zeal against Luther, but if the Pope did not please the Emperor, he would let Luther alone. Anyhow he had nothing to lose, he would use Luther as a tool to work out his own ends. But God was above all this merely human policy. He had work for Luther yet to do, and he would protect his servant, till the work was done. In the meantime the work progressed. Though the plague was raging at Wittenberg, new students were constantly arriving. Between five and six hundred daily listened to the truth as taught by Luther and Melanchthon. Luther's works were also reprinted and circulated all over Germany by colporteurs. And this was done notwithstanding the orders of the Pope that everywhere they were to be burnt. It is clear that the Pope was losing his power over Germany, and in proportion to this the truths of the Gospel were spread abroad and were read.